Kia ora i te whanau, no mai, haere mai, welcome to our final Q&A of 2019. I'm Jack Tame. Tonight, Finance Minister Grant Robertson is here. He's opening up the Santa sack with a big infrastructure spend. But why now? And can we trust the government to deliver? Then I'll wrap up the political year with our panel, Ella Henry and Ben Thomas, and a look back at the curious and important stories we've covered on Q&A this year. As far as I'm concerned, we are surrounded by terrorists. I remember being called a trout. Him and Simon used to be wonderful <laughs> friends. There are few things our major political parties agree upon, but the need for a significant investment in infrastructure may be top of the list. Facing pressure from economists, business leaders and the Reserve Bank, Finance Minister Grant Robertson has announced a $12 billion injection, with about half of that money being spent on transport. Exactly where the money will go, he won't say just yet. But the government says economic conditions and the state of our books make it a perfect time to spend. Finance Minister Grant Robertson, Tenakwe, welcome to Q&A. I wanted to begin tonight by reflecting briefly, if we can, on Fakari White Island. Of course, it was this time last week that we were learning um, about the incident there. Tourism is our largest export industry, and I appreciate this won't be top of the list of concerns from a government perspective just yet. But are you worried about the impact that events like Fakati White Island might have on our international reputation? Well, you're certainly right that right at the moment the focus is still on the families of those um, both who've perished but also those who are still in hospital and clearly that's the focus we're working through at the moment. Look, tourism is a very important industry and adventure tourism is a big part of that offering that we give and clearly there are risks associated with a lot of the activities that tourists might undertake in New Zealand. I, th I think my view is we've got to find ways of making sure that we, we make people aware of those risks, that we do the right thing and obviously there'll be investigations to come from WorkSafe and others in terms of, of what happened at Fakari White Island but you know I think we've got to make sure that that tourism offering remains a very important part of what we do. More broadly outside of Fakari do we need to review some of our adventure tourism activities? Oh, look, you know, We'll take a look at the lessons that we can draw. Um, as I say there's inevitably an element of risk with many of the activities, the bungee jumps and even you know um, being out in, in boats and so on, you do get that. Uh, I think it's important we continue to give people the chance to enjoy New Zealand but clearly we've got to be upfront about risks and we've got to make sure that we're managing those through all the different processes from WorkSafe through to our tourism regulations but the time will come for that. Let's talk infrastructure. Uh, the opposition has said today that National is the party of infrastructure. Are they right? No, they're absolutely wrong. And we inherited an infrastructure deficit. Um, you know, we had years where there was almost no spending at all going into capital. About $1 billion went in, and I think it was 2014. Uh, we, the previous government just weren't consistent in their investment. We've significantly lifted it since we've been office, and now we're going to do some more. What big infrastructure investments have you made in the last two years? So the big priority for us was coming in and finding out about things like Middlemore Hospital and the mould and the walls there. We had kids being taught in school halls and libraries instead of in their classrooms. So we put significant boosts in there. That, that's catch-up stuff, though. What, what stuff have you invested in separate to that? Well, but, but that's what needed to be done, Jack. I mean, that's what New Zealanders asked us to do when we came in, was make sure that their kids were learning in a proper classroom, that hospitals were actually the way they should be. In addition to that, we've invested significantly in Kiwi Rail. Now, that was an asset really undermined. 
behind under the previous government, and we've done that. When it comes to roading, which I know everybody seems to have a great deal of interest in, we are making significant investments there, particularly in road safety, mm. in regional roads, and in public transport generally. So we've made some big investments, but always opportunity to do more. You say you're playing... Well, that, that's, the, that's the question, isn't it? Because, because for most of your term, economists have been pleading with this government to get spending, to, to increase capital expenditure and infrastructure investment. Why have you waited until this point? Why have you waited until right now? I still challenge that. So we inherited um, a forward capital spending plan of $30 billion. We increased that to $40 billion, and now it's up to $50 billion. So we actually have made those investments. But in terms but of... your debt has been low. You, you, you are running surpluses at the moment. It, conditions have been pretty good for the last couple of years. I appreciate interest rates aren't quite as low as they are <laughs> right now. But why not bring that $12 billion spending forward two years ago? Look, we, we made some serious commitments around what we wanted to do in social spending, in education and in health. And we were committed to making sure that, that we fulfilled those budget budget responsibility rules. Now we're in a position, having done that, first two years, met those debt targets, we are in a position to spend. And as you said, I don't think you'll find many people who actually disagree it's with It's a question that. of urgency, though, isn't it? When you were in opposition, you decried what you saw as an infrastructure deficit. You get into power, you run surpluses, you get debt right down to 20%, which the Governor of the Reserve Bank says, an, is, says is an arbitrary figure. And as I say, we made those investments at the start. I mean, I'm not going to back away from the fact that if we get news that in one of our major hospitals there's mould and sewage in the walls, that's going to be our priority. The same with education spending. And now we're in a position, having got the books into good shape, to be able to do the spend. Can you give us any detail? Any detail about where this $12 billion is? Well, look, as, as we've announced, around about $6.8 billion of it goes to transport. What project? That will be a mix of public transport, rail, cycling, but also roads as give well. Give me some specific. No. Why I, not? Because, because we're going to make that announcement in the, in the early part of next year, and also because we are just dotting the I's and crossing the T's, and I don't want to give out information that isn't 100% What, what does that accurate. mean, though? What, what is dotting the I's and crossing the T's Well, these, there's a whole range of big projects here that you know we need to make sure we're being absolutely straight up with New Zealanders about what they're going to get and when they're going to get it. It's not so far away. So be straight away. up with us now. Because <laughs> the business community... I know you want... No, I mean, for a long time, the business community ha has criticised your government for creating what, yeah. it see, uh, what it says is a degree of uncertainty. And that is a criticism that could be levelled with this announcement. You've said there's going to be spending, but at the moment the detail is vague. There's $12 billion booked. It's in the account, so the money is absolutely there. It includes um, that transport expenditure, but it also includes the $400 million on giving our schools the chance to get upgraded. It includes a couple of hundred million dollars to, to get rid of those coal-fired boilers. So there's some really specific detail already announced. Presuming you can dot the I's and cross the T's, will some of that money be directed towards those 12 roading projects, or the roads of national significance as it's been deemed by the opposition? Again, the details of that will come out soon, but what I would say about those roads of national significance from the last government is that most of them weren't funded. And that's the thing and the difference here. Are they, they shovel-ready? They were ideas. If you can fund them, are they shovel-ready? Are they are, ready to go? There's a range of short and medium and long-term projects here. And one of the things we are trying to address is that pipeline of activity. You know, actually, a lot of the people involved in our roading construction are really busy at the moment finishing roads like Transmission Gully down in Wellington. What they want to know is what comes next. Exactly. That's what, this, <laughs> exactly. That, that's what these projects will do. And okay. it's not far away, Jack. Delivery is the big question.
here. Kiwi Build has failed to deliver anything like was promised in the election campaign. You promised spades in the ground for light rail to Auckland Airport before the next election. At the moment we haven't even decided on a route, let alone the nature of the vehicle. Why should New Zealanders, given that history, trust this government to deliver? Because we've built 700 classrooms, because we've put over a billion dollars into Kiwi Rail, because we've built and rebuilt hospitals. But those are, those are your biggest infrastructure projects, in a sense, aren't they? I mean, those are signature promises you we've made. We've built three and a half thousand state houses, Jack. There has been a lot of activity going on. These projects are there. We know what they're going to be. They're not far away from being announced. And actually, our party's record on infrastructure is far stronger than the national party. But I'm comparing you to your promises, not to not to the. Yep. I'm comparing you to the promises you made, and you look at those big promises, those signature promises, Kiwi Build and the light train or light rail to the airport, which stagnates as far as we understand. We have built more houses than any government since the 1970s. Now, we've been absolutely open in our acknowledgement that Kiwi Build didn't go as well as it could have, but 3,500 new state houses is a huge achievement, Jack. Um, Let's talk housing. Westpac economists said on Friday house prices in Auckland have now hit an all-time high. The National House Price Index is up 5.6% on this time last year. Outside of Auckland, it's up 8.3%. Does that concern you? Oh, look, we've had a period of sustained moderation in house prices after those big increases a few years ago. A period of one year? Yeah, no, no, it was more than one year. Um, you know, we've had a couple of years of that, and I think what we now... 8.3% is, is a huge... No, period. I mean, that's a, that, that is a significant increase. I'm not denying that. Um, obviously the supply and demand elements of housing take time to address. We have actually seen the, an, a significant increase in the proportion of first home buyers who are actually coming into the market now. Are they, we are going to be able to do that if house prices which are currently forecast to rise 7% next mm. year continue to grow at this rate? How will you in the short term counter those rising house prices? We've already put in place the foreign buyer ban. We've already seen a significant lift in the houses that are being built in but New Zealand. But it's not enough, is it? I mean, if it's going up 8.3% outside well, of Auckland, that's a, that's a huge figure. Let's see how that trend goes over the next little while. But the key here is to build houses. And we did go through a period in New Zealand where we weren't building enough affordable But what homes. about those other those other policies? You rejected a capital gains tax. Um, the, the housing shortage is set to hit 150000 a year, if you believe Kiwi Bank economists, what do you say to the people who voted for your government, who elected you because they thought you were going to make it easier for them to get into a house? Well, as I said, the proportion of first-home buyers has actually increased under the government, so it is easier at the moment for first-home buyers to get in there. We've made the change around how, how much of a deposit that you need, taking that down to 5%. We've got the progressive home ownership program coming through. There is a lot of activity in that housing area, but I also make no apology for focusing on homelessness and getting that public housing um, build up. You know, we inherited state houses being sold. Okay. We've Let, turned that around. Let's talk about... Let's talk about some of that social spending. In February, the Welfare Working Group recommended you immediately raise uh, core benefits. Why haven't you? Uh, well, that's, we're working through that. We're in the last budget. We put in $500 million. The core we've benefits, why? Uh, hang on. We've indexed benefits to the average wage. We're dealing with some of the sanctions issues. Those other issues are part of our planning towards Budget 20, and you'll have to wait until then but to I see what I, we this do. This is what I don't understand. I, I appreciate that, especially in an election year, you have to throw out a few little tempting bits and pieces for, for the voting public. But when it comes to 
our most vulnerable people. When, you've been, when it's been recommended by your own working group that you immediately raise core benefits, why do you turn that into some sort of cliffhanger? Why do we have to wait? No, I mean, you, you have at least $3 billion sitting around um, if, you, if you consider the numbers from most e economists. Why, why do those people have to wait sure, for I'm answer? not sure what the $3 billion is about. But what I do know is the very first thing we did on coming into government was reverse the tax cuts and put that into a families package that's putting over $5 billion into the pockets of low and middle income New Zealanders. But these are the lowest, yeah, aren't they? And, that's and, right. And, and your own working group has recommended you immediately raise those And those we are working And we are working our way through those recommendations. But, Jack, it's not right to say we haven't done anything there. I'm Half not saying a billion you haven't done anything, but that's, going, that's going the fundamental recommendation out of, out of that incomes. working group. You, you've accepted three of the 42 recommendations. Some of those sanctions aren't in place yet. You're the man with the money. Is it possible that you will increase core benefits in the budget? We are working through the recommendations of that and we will address those in the, in the budget. Do tax brackets need to be changed? Well, look, every government wants to think about doing that um, because clearly, you know, we want to make sure the tax system stays fair. Uh, I have to balance that against the fact that we've already been discussing tonight a huge range of issues that need to be funded. So in the end, if parties are going to promise big tax cuts, they've got to explain what they don't spend money on. What about indexing? Indexing, Indic indexing tax brackets to inflation. Look, that's a proposal that's out there at the moment, but I've got to balance that against the fact that there is a huge need still in health and education and housing and child wellbeing, all the things you've raised. No, there's no free lunch here. You can't say you're going to cut taxes as the National Party does and then also promise huge spending. It doesn't add up. We've been very careful to make sure that our promises do add up and obviously... Like all other issues, we'll deal with that as we come towards the election. But it's a tough balance when there is so much need to make up for. Another tax I want to ask you about, the Auckland Regional Fuel Tax. Would you consider scrapping that in favour of a congestion tax? No. Um, the Auckland Regional Fuel Tax is part of our ATAP plan with, with the Auckland Council. Um, it means that if you don't have it, you're going to have to find about $4 billion. There's a lot of roading projects in Can you make that up in, in congestion charging? Not immediately. The thing about congestion charging is you do need good quality alternatives in terms of public transport. Um, congestion charging's got a lot of merit, but unless you provide those alternatives, particularly people on lower incomes will be very badly affected. We actually, with the regional fuel tax and with what the Auckland Council is putting in, have a good plan here. But if some parties, like the National Party, say that's going to go, then they have to explain which roading projects are not happening. OK. Final question, um, Minister. I want to come back to that $3 billion figure, and you have a closer eye on the numbers than I do. But in an election year, I appreciate you will be keeping a few goodies up your sleeve when it comes to the budget. You probably won't give those away, but feel free to. <laughs> Otherwise, can you tell us what sort of New Zealander do you want to target with your election year budget? Well, I want every New Zealander to benefit, but I particularly want to make sure that those low and middle income New Zealanders get a real go in New Zealand. And we've made a significant effort to do that with the families package, with our improvements to health care, with you know, getting rid of NCA fees, the things that really matter to those families. So I, I do want working New Zealanders to feel they're getting a fair go, and that'll always be my focus in politics. Finance Minister Grant Robertson, thanks for your time. Cheers. Our panel, Ben Thomas and Ella Henry, is ready with their political reckons after the break. And we thought tonight, given it is our last Q&A programme of the year, we would share with you some of 2019's biggest moments on the show. And we will begin with March 15th and the Christchurch mosque attack. The atrocity, the murders occurred in this country. This country provided him with an environment that allowed him as the wrong word, but... 
gave him an opportunity to commit mass murder in our country. I've had all kinds of things happen to me from being egged um, through to being spat at, having someone try and pull my hijab, but at the same time it's been other things as well where people feel emboldened to say things to my face and even though there are people around me, nobody will support me. Will you apologise for those tweets regarding gang rape and inmate revolt? No, that wasn't, this that wasn't gang rape, it was okay. political okay. gang okay. rape. Okay. Get it right. Okay, okay. Will you apologise? <laughs> Will you apologise for those too. tweets? Well, all depends if they want to. You they, have the opportunity well, to be a leader here and, don't and forget, be humble. I'm, we're not on trial. No, I know, it's but you have the opportunity to, to yeah. be the bigger man here. Well, we can, and I will. Racism is not funny. Racism kills. Homophobia kills. Sexism and misogyny kills. It's offensive, but is that hate speech? It is if it psychologically damages people, and that's the point I've been trying to make. So racism where you, where you damages people. Though? Where do you draw the line for psychologically damaging, though? <laughs> Lewis Wall there. Free speech, of course, one of the many robust debates we've hosted on Q&A this year. It's time now to bring in this evening's panel. Ella Henry, Associate Professor and Director of Māori Advancement at the AUT Faculty of Business, Economics and Law... <laughs> And PR practitioner, former national staffer, Ben Thomas. Kia ora, Kia ora. Congratulations, Ella. Thank you very the promotion. much. Promotion. Um, let's begin with Grant Robertson. We didn't learn a whole lot when it comes to the detail for this $12 billion spend. What do you think, Ella? Well, he certainly reiterated the gains, albeit small or big, that they have tried to attempt. And, and I know from the far north, communities that have you know, been able to benefit from cheaper health care and a range of other things that they've introduced. So whilst there was a lack of detail, I, I do think that some communities have felt some positive outcomes. Mm. What do you think, Ben? The government's played this very smartly and it's been brought into sharp relief today with National staking its claim as the party of infrastructure, but really they were gazumped about a week ago when the government announced this $12 billion worth of expenditure. And you see this quite a lot. I call it the rope-a-dope tactic. You know, the government cowers on the rope saying there's no more money for infrastructure, and the, and the opposition pounds in saying you must spend on infrastructure, you must. And eventually, usually with an election looming, the government says, OK. Mm. And it kind of leaves the, the, the opposition sort of struggling for air and, and unre un unable to really differentiate itself the way it wanted to. Mm. OK, I want to reflect a little bit on 2019 with you both um, this evening. We'll do the winners and losers thing in a couple of minutes, but let's speak more broadly first of all. In January, of course, the Prime Minister termed 2019 the year of delivery. Has the government delivered and what has the government delivered, Ella? I think, and I can only speak in terms of the Māori communities that I work with, that they're still waiting for some of those changes to occur. Um, but some of the gains that are being made through uh, developments for regional growth projects in the north are, have the potential to make real and meaningful change. I think people are in the Māori communities I engage with are in sit-and-wait-and-see mode. Ben? Yeah, the year of delivery for the government, they've approached it a lot like a first-year university student might approach the term of delivery. Um, they're obviously cramming on the last night. December's been very busy. Uh, they've been announcing, you know, a lot of big and welcome changes. For instance, the infrastructure spending, which mm -hmm. business has been clamouring for. Uh, the big move of Northport or to Northport um, is on the cards now. That's a big win for New Zealand first. Uh, the previous 11 months, you'd really be struggling to find any significant wins. Uh, as you noted in your interview with Robertson, um, 
two really big, big failures with Kiwi Build and the tramline in Auckland. Um, and they, they have struggled, but they're looking to turn it around at the end. Yeah, why do you think they have struggled in your eyes? Well, if you're cruel, you'd say Phil Twyford because he's been responsible for those two big projects. Um, but I think more broadly, not enough work done in opposition. Uh, Kiwi Build and Light Rail were clearly policies that were made on the hoof. Um, you know, Kiwi Build was made in the back of a, of a car mm. with Annette King just on a bit of paper. And when you carry those, you know, sloganeering policies through into government without having done the work and without actually knowing how you're going to translate mm. them into reality, you will hit problems. Sloganeering is an interesting term, actually, isn't it? Because you know, there are words that when delivered, particularly by the Prime Minister, tend to stick, whether it is uh, delivery, whether it is transformational. These are words that we in the media have returned to as we consider their progress. But Ali, you think that there is, or you sense at the very least, um, a degree of patience in the voting public, and particularly in Māori. Well, you know, Māori have been patient for a very long time, so it's just business as usual, us being patient and waiting for mm. better times to come. Um, but the reality is, unless they can see tangibly in those isolated, rural, impoverished communities mm. that the changes that are happening or planned are making a difference to them, then they're going to be either fence-sitters or non-voters. And that's okay. a confounding variable when you're trying to calculate how to go into the next Yeah, election. we will try and like cast our nets forward to 2020 in a short while. What about the opposition this year? You know, it's interesting to consider Simon Bridges' position at this time last year, coming off the back of the Jamie Lee Ross scandal, for example. I mean, he is polling at 10% in our One News Colmar Brunton preferred Prime Minister poll. But National consistently polls in the 40s in the party vote. I would think he'd be pretty pleased with that, Ben. This time last year, not many people were picking that Simon Bridges would still be the leader at this point. I think he would be very satisfied with his 2019. Uh, national on some of the last polls are poised, you know, neck and neck with the government um, to take the next election, depending on how, you know, some of those minor party votes mm. fall. Um, you know, I think he would be satisfied. A lot of this does come down to the government's own failures. Um, there hasn't been a huge amount of national setting the pace this year, um, but it has, you know, you can't argue with the polling. It's been a good mm. year for national, even if, you know, things will be more difficult in an election year, probably head-to-head -head with Jacinda Ardern. What is your um, sense as to how the opposition has performed this year, Anna? Um, I, I found them overwhelmingly underwhelming, but... Um was that? Well, I, I, the, just the, the rhetoric, um, the, the the very aggressive approach to um, deny, you know, disagreeing with some of the policies. They're in opposition. Yeah, yeah and that's their job. But that's but but I mean, they've been underwhelming at it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, <laughs> I, I, I'm struggling to. I mean, you know, Simon's nice, as we all know, but um, I think maybe there's they're going to have to collect themselves before next year. That's for sure if they want to make an impact on that in the middle vote. So you know, you've got your Labour you've got your Nats and then you've got the people who might vote Greens or New Zealand First or whatever and that's re they're the ones who are going to decide who's going to govern this country next year not the, the staunch Labour Nat supporters. Mm. Um, so how they do that centrist thing is going to be really important for both. Do you, do you, do you sense that, that Simon Bridges is the leader for a a, a centre-right party that's looking to get, gain that centrist vote? He's young. 
which I think is kind of he's, useful. He's socially very conservative. He is very conservative in my view. Socially, but yeah. yeah but, but, but the reality is, uh, you know, there's a, we, we have a large growing number of millennials mm. coming into the electoral market and they're, I think, much more attracted to a younger political mm. leader than the usual, you know, 65-year-old white man. Okay, let's um, do winners and lo losers for 2019. Ella, we'll start with you. Who's your winner for 2019? Um, too many, but, but but certainly, you know, obviously Jacinda over the March massacre um, has raised the profile of New Zealand. I've I've been very uh, pleasantly um, reinforced in my views about Nanaya. I think she's put a lot of energy okay. in Nanaya. The first. Māori woman ever to have that role um, and I think she's had to take on a lot and be pre present around mm. a lot of issues. So I've been impressed with her um, the way she's comported herself. Who's your loser for 2019? <laughs> your brick bat. It's really hard to, I mean... You know, I'd like to have seen the Māori Party forming harder and stronger in the lead-up to next year because I really value an independent Indigenous voice in politics and I, I think that, that they may have wasted a few opportunities, so that's somewhat saddening. But I can't think of anyone that I would say, well, you know, I mean, we're all disappointed about Kiwi Build. I don't want to steal your lines, but, but that was on Phil Twyford's watch. And I'm, I think a young, inexperienced crew of Cabinet Ministers may be reflected in some of those glitches. Winners and losers, Ben? Again, the obvious winner, you know, if you want to term it that, is the Prime Minister. She did show extraordinary leadership during now two, you know, pretty terrible catastrophes in New Zealand. Um, and she showed, you know, why she is the chosen leader of the country and she demonstrated all of the attributes that brought her there. Um, away from, you know, people you know, acquitting themselves well in the position they find themselves in. People who have sort of made their own luck, I think. Um, you would look at Chloe Swarbrick with the Greens, uh, piloting the cannabis referendum through, uh, and probably David Seymour with ACT, uh, mm. getting his end-of-life choice bill onto the ballot next year, and also um, lifting ACT up to, you know, almost... What two percent in some One point six, I believe, is our latest a number. Stellar Top performance, <laughs> just really exceeding expectations. And what about a loser then? It's. I think most most leaders and most parties probably would be reasonably happy with where they find themselves at the end of this year, and it is hard to go past Phil Twyford whose two big failures are just emblematic for the government. Uh, but the other one, I think, who flies under the radar is David Clark, the Minister of Health. It's now been two years. Uh, Labor campaigned, I think, quite cynically on mental health, mm. and they haven't made any progress um, despite that $1.9 billion. All right. The panel will be back with us shortly with their expectations and predictions for election year 2020. Let's see what Jenny has planned for us on tonight. Thanks, Jack. Tonight, cruise ship Ovation of the Seas returns to Australia a week after the Fakari White Island eruption as Kiwis around the country pay tribute with a minute of silence. Fighting fire with fire, how a controlled backburn led to an inferno in sweltering Australia. Court sealing thousands to pay for weight loss surgery, the Māori King's secretary faces court. Plus, how to avoid getting slapped with an octopus or a fine this summer. Doc gets strict to protect sea life. Join us for all that and tomorrow's weather right after Q&A.
Kia ora, Jenny, looking forward to it. As always, please send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can post your comments on Facebook or email us at Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. Stick around for an update on some of the stories we've covered this year and our panel will be back with their predictions for 2020. But first, staying with our highlights from the year this evening, my interview with Piata Melbourne, a Philip Morris spokesperson. So we didn't sponsor Fashion Week, but we were... So you sponsored individual designers at Fashion Week for their shows? We're in partnership with them, correct. I mean, that is more or less the same thing, isn't it? What's your message to the rest of the world? America is coming back in a way that relates to all our principles, decency. We're going to lead again by our example. There is nothing magic about net debt of 20%. Now, I've taken two of my own grandchildren. I do know what it means to take a child from its mother, and believe you me, it is one of the most painful things you can put a mother through. It's 35 years since those reforms of 1984. How would New Zealand look today if you hadn't introduced those reforms? A whole lot worse. I think if you look at the reforms, particularly between 84 and 87, uh, those reforms are still in place. I recognise too that I stand on the shoulders of political giants such as Papa Joe and Eva Rickard and Aniko Minhinik and Fina Kupa, but I don't do in no way see myself as one of them. I just see myself as somebody who is trying to continue the legacies that they left behind for us to contribute to a better Aotearoa. Pani and Newton there, it looks uh, unlikely of course that any solution will be reached at Ihumatao anytime soon. Now, throughout 2019, our reporter, Fina Owen, has sought out the voices of New Zealanders all over Aotearoa on the issues that affect them. Her reporting has seen her covering local body elections, digging into landfill issues, listening to communities worried by 5G technology and communities excited by the prospect of a new port. Here's a look back at some of the stories she's covered this year. We kicked off the year in Gisborne, a year that would mark a profound moment in our history, first encounters on land between Māori and Pākehā. Fifty years ago, Gisborne went big on celebrating James Cook. In 2019, he's a more polarising figure. And sailing that, that death ship around our country is a re-traumatisation. The establishment uh, would prefer that Cook never existed. Come October, the Endeavour replica was met in Gisborne with protest and admiration. Tuia 250 provoked debate across the country on how we should view our history. In early March, Greta Thunberg was not quite a household name, but her movement, the global climate strike, had picked up here. We caught up with students preparing for the first big march. What do we want? When do we want it? Recently, Greta Thunberg looked back on her year of action. We have achieved nothing. Last week, she was named Time Person of the Year, and the climate strike movement here told us the school strikers will continue to take action in 2020. For me to see all of this country to go into pine trees would be devastating. Out in the rural back blocks, farmers were starting to agitate about the number of sheep and beef farms being snapped up by international buyers for forestry because of the government incentives they claim under the Billion Trees Initiative. Later in the year, they took their issue to Parliament and to Shane Jones. And promised their fight against mass forestry will be an election issue. 
Events that happened in the Middle East a thousand years ago were suddenly a national topic of discussion. Should we change the name of Canterbury's rugby team? Q&A sought a medieval expert's opinion on what the Crusades mean for us today. In the long run, Islam won the Crusades. So do you think it's a bit funny that a rugby team have called themselves after the losers, essentially? Well, um, I don't think I'll tell the, the, the good folk of Canterbury that and the fans of the, the Crusaders. Only a few weeks ago, the Crusaders team management announced it would stick with the Crusaders' name, but change the branding. Not everyone was convinced. Water continued to be an issue this year. We looked at nitrate in drinking water and the resistance to chlorine in Christchurch water. We hate it. We filter all our water. Groups opposing water bottling told us of their struggles to meet the legal bills they'd clocked up, taking on billion-dollar water barons. You have to sell a hell of a lot of cupcakes. We're in 2019 and nothing has changed. But a few months ago, Eugenie Sage announced the Overseas Investment Office was making it much tougher for foreign investors wanting to bottle water here. As far as I'm concerned, we are surrounded by terrorists. Their names are memorialised on all of our towns and streets. We spoke to Māori in three North Island regions about living on streets and in settlements named after colonial officials who sanctioned the killing or oppression of Māori. If you had a Bryce Street here, we would be doing the same as what we're doing for Metzville. You'd be changing it? Yes. The people we talked to wanted more awareness of who these figures are in our history. In September, the Prime Minister announced New Zealand history was to be taught in all schools and kura. Women MPs were celebrated this year, marking a century since women were able to stand for election to Parliament. Current and former parliamentarians told us attitudes have only recently improved. It was awful and severe, but I'm not even going to repeat it because that's exactly what the bullies want. I remember being called a trout by David Cutler. Overseas, flex scum or flight shaming was becoming a thing. And here, we met an Aucklander who catches trains and buses to his out-of-town meetings. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, how's your trip? Yeah, it was good, yeah. Lovely day coming down through the central North Island. Flight shaming is a developing issue. We're keeping a very close eye on it. With a slight drop-off already in Scandinavian tourist numbers attributed to the no-fly movement, the industry will be monitoring visitor stats this summer. Would you vote for Chris Luxon or Jamie Lee Ross or someone else? Jamie Lee Ross. Jamie Lee Ross? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Botany Electorate, our random vox popping suggested a fair bit of support for independent MP Jamie Lee Ross. With former Air New Zealand boss Christopher Luxon signalling his interest in the seat, Jamie Lee Ross was keen to show us around. We met one of his supporters struggling with the fact he is now an independent MP. He could easily be the national candidate. Him and Simon used to be wonderful friends. <laughs> do, do you want them to be friends again? Oh, yes, it was years ago. But it was Are you ever going to be friends again? Well, two power powers that you could make up. Look, uh, I, I, <laughs> think, I think, unfortunately, Simon and I had a falling out. Soon after, Christopher Luxon was confirmed as the national candidate. Botany will be one of the many interesting races to watch. Bring on election 2020. Mm, indeed. Reporter Fenner Owen wrapping up 2019 there. Stay with us. The panel's back after the break. We'll get their predictions for 2020. In the meantime, here's another testy exchange from 2019 on Q&A. 
Uh, you don't mind wrongful deaths if it's amateur violence, suicide. Of course You I don't do. mind wrongful deaths, not, not when it comes to this law, you don't. I do. You don't mind Absolutely wrongful don't. deaths but if it's a doctor giving mouth. someone a little bit too much more. No, that's you not don't true. mind people writhing on plastic sheets, suffering to the bitter end. I don't end think you represent all me of that is particularly is okay. relevant well, here, David. That's, that's the position that you're taking. No, it's Sorry, not. but you are. You're misrepresenting what you object to, Maggie, is people being able to make the choice for themselves. People should have that right, and they should not have to suffer for your morality. You've said housing will be one of the things that our success or otherwise will be measured against. Yes. But with just over a year left in your first term, you can't tell us how many of those original 16,000 homes planned for the end of next year will actually be completed. And this is why I'm absolutely acknowledging that it hasn't met our expectations. And I, and I have given you numbers, to be fair. The latest that I've seen are um, over That's how many are done now, but how many of those yeah. 16,000 is what I'm And this is, and we've got 10,000 contracted. You've got the oh, details. Sure. You said you had the numbers. So come on, so you tell me this. What is the $10 million this year under this government when they did nothing the you're, year before? Uh, with respect, that, with respect that, Mr Bridges, you're the politician here. This is your policy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm $50 million us. a year. I want to know how many people's lives that's going to change. You're feeling zestful? The joie de vie still there? Well, we'll be up in your face in 2020, if that's what you mean. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Winston Peters forever with a glint in his eye. Back with the panel now, Ben Thomas and Ella Henry. Let's look forward to the election next year. When we do the show, the final Q&A for 2020, Ben, who will be in government? Well, it depends. <laughs> I, I think that we won't have the same sort of roller coaster ride that we had at the last election. I think that current polling is a pretty good indicator of the polling at the election. In that case, you would give the edge to the government, with both of its both of Labour's partners being returned and forming a government. The wild card in this is the New Zealand First Party. They have Winston Peters has never actually managed to make it three years as a minister without being fired or stood down. Um, and you know, New Zealand First holds within it the seeds of its own destruction. We've seen the reporting on, you know, questions about the New Zealand First Foundation mm. and donors, and it will be those sorts of issues that I think determine who the government and, is. And during a campaign, we can probably expect um, some, of the, some of the campaigning to increase some of the tensions within that coalition. What do you expect, Ella? Well, historically, New Zealanders tend to give governments at least a second mm. term, uh, so I'm assuming, like Ben, that we will see a return mm. and we will still see the two-party um, kingmaker coalition with Greens and New Zealand Party. I, I know that that party may have taken a bit of a hit in recent weeks, but one of the things I've learned about Winston over the decades is that he has an extraordinary mm. capacity to bounce back. Yes. You just heard him then. Uh, what, are the, what do the opposition have to do? If they, if they want to reverse that trend or your predictions, Ben, what do they need to do? They have to work hard on, like you were saying, the contradictions within the uh, coalition. They have to keep pointing out that uh, a coalition propped up by New Zealand First is not one that's kind or transformational. Um, they There's have... no chance <laughs> that they would consider going with New Zealand First? 
I, I think New, National will have to rule out New Zealand first. Um, as we saw in 2008 when John Key ruled mm. out New Zealand first, that managed to drive their vote under the 5%. Because there are a bunch of New Zealand first supporters who are National supporters mm. and rather than they go with National. So that, that's necessary but possibly not sufficient for National to do. What, what about a, a coalition partner? You said acts at 1.6%. Maybe they will get another MP in if that um, if that vote holds. But where else does National turn for friends? Well, there is no one else. Um, all of these sort of growing in a laboratory potential coalition partners that we've seen, you know, flowing like kites in recent years, the Sustainable mm. NZ Party, the aborted uh, Alfred Nardo Christian Party, you know, forget that. It's almost impossible for a new party to enter into Parliament without a sitting MP in the previous term. Um, National needs to drive its vote as high as possible. Mm. ACT is benefiting from some of those disgruntled Conservatives deserting New Zealand first over, say, gun laws. Um, they, it's it's got to be a drag race for National. What about the Māori seats, Adam? Well, I think that most of the Māori seats are relatively stable and should transform. Um, probably um, Auckland is always the, the tamaki, you know, the tamaki mm. seat is always a little bit unpredictable. Mm. Um, and so I think Penny is doing a good job in being out and about, but a, a high-profile, um, high-brand Māori in the tamaki seat could be an upset. I know there's been murmurs about Pania and political party Newton. Um, but but it's always unpredictable what Māori and Auckland are going to do because we cross the whole spectrum. And, and, and who, would, who would a candidate in the Tamaki electorate be representing? What party? The, the Māori party or do you see it, another...? It would have to be a revitalisation of the Māori party, which, as mm. I said earlier, has, has suffered mm. extensively because it lacks infrastructure. OK. Um, how will the referendums next year change the nature of this campaign compared to previous years? I think they'll be good for the Greens and they'll be good for ACT because ACT, for instance, you know, really struggling in the polls in recent years and couldn't get any visibility in the last election Profile. campaign. Yeah. David Seymour will find it easier to get into the media because of the referendum. That will help ACT get their, you know, one or two extra MPs ideally for them. Uh, the Greens helps them, not so much because it'll bring out this missing million of weed-smoking young people who don't normally vote that the sort of Greens fantasise about, but actually because it gets Chloe Swarbrick in the media more. Uh, she's a very palatable face for the Greens, a very articulate spokesperson, and it will do them good to have her front and centre. And Ella, from your experience, you think those referendums might drive voter participation? I, I absolutely, and I say this because I've spent a lot of time with millennials as a university in a, in a university environment, and I've, I'm intrigued by the level of interest and the engagement, not just the marijuana issue, but 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 also the um, euthanasia bill. Mm. So I do think it won't be the million stoners, but actually galvanised millennials who 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 often we don't know where they're going to vote. Mm. That they're, they're you know still finding themselves politically. I think that they will actually move on those two fronts. Kia ora kōrua. Thanks for your time and insights this evening, Ella Henry, and Ben Thomas. Stay with us. We'll have the final word for Q and A 2019 after the break. I've asked you specifically if you have had advice that there are security concerns in taking people from Africa and the Middle East. Yes or no? Have you, have you had that I've advice? I've not had advice to that, to that extent, oh, no. OK. Are these rules racist? Oh, look, people have certainly raised concerns about them, and that's why, reviewing, well, why yeah, we so are reviewing you, them. You're the Minister for Immigration. Are these rules racist? Can you just tell us, first of all, what it would be like being on Fakari White Island during an eruption? 
you're very exposed. There's not a lot of areas that, uh, that you can find um, immediate safety. The defence was this was consensual, this was high-risk sex, this involved something that was extremely risky and mm -hmm. potentially life-threatening, but the deceased, Melaine, consented to this, and you can't do that in a vacuum. If you were a man, would you have gone through the same process? I'm not sure that I would. And if you're a gambling man, what would you say the likelihood we will see criminal charges? <laughs> It's a step at a time, really, Jack, and I, 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 no, I wouldn't put odds on it. It's only when you reflect on all those different moments you realise how many interesting stories and issues we have covered this year on, uh, on Q&A. Thank you very much for all your support in bringing you these debates and conversations. Now, before we leave you for 2020, there is one last thing I need to share, and I'm going to take my earpiece out so that she can't yell at me. This is the final program produced by our executive producer, Mary Ann Ahern. Across her distinguished journalism career, Mary Ann has produced many of the biggest names in New Zealand media. Maggie Barry, Mike Hosking, Mark Sainsbury, Kim Hill and Sir Paul Holmes, to name just a few. She's never desperate to appear on camera, but a glance through the TVNZ archives shows she's never far from the big stories. Mary Ann is as respected around the halls of the Beehive as she is by her fellow journalists. She's fierce, she's fearless, she's empathetic, she's wise, she's funny, she's great at carrying a tripod, and she is a wonderful boss. She's now decided to take a very brave plunge pursuing a new adventure. Mary Ann, it has been an enormous privilege to work with you. From all of us, thank you. And to you at home, now mihi kia koto. Thank you for watching Q&A this year. In the clickbait age, uh, thanks for valuing rigour and scrutiny and everything we try to do. We're back in 2020 in mid-February, election year. Until then, kia pai te kirimeti. Have a great Christmas. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.